in Exodus chapter 26, the adult class. Okay, get my deal here straight down. Praise the Lord. Let me read Exodus 26 to you, and then we'll look at uh, some of the descriptions there. Exodus 26, verse 1, if you have it, say Amen. Okay. Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet with cherubim of cunning work shalt thou make them. The length of one curtain shall be eight and twenty cubits and the breadth of one curtain four cubits and every one of the curtains shall have one measure. The five curtains shall be coupled together one together and other five curtains shall be coupled one to another. Thou shalt make loops of blue upon the edges of the one curtain from the selvage in the coupling, and likewise shalt thou make in the uttermost edge of another curtain in the coupling of the second. Fifty loops shalt thou make in the one curtain, and fifty loops shalt thou make in the edge of the curtain, that is, in the coupling of the second, that the loops may take hold one of another. And thou shalt make fifty tatchets of gold, and couple the curtains together, with the tatchets, and it shall be one tabernacle. Thou shalt make curtains of goats here to be a covering upon the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shalt thou make. The length of one curtain shall be thirty cubits, and the breadth of one curtain four cubits, and the eleven curtains shall be all of one measure. And thou shalt couple five curtains by themselves, and six curtains by themselves, and shall double the sixth curtain in the forefront of the tabernacle. Thou shalt make fifty loops on the edge of the one curtain that is outmost in the coupling, and fifty loops in the edge of the curtain which coupleth the second. Thou shalt make fifty tatchets of brass, and put the tatchets in the, into the loops, and couple the tent together, that it may be one. And the remnant that remaineth of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remaineth, shall hang over the back side of the tabernacle. And a cubit on the one side, and a cubit on the other side of that which remaineth in the length of the curtains of the tent, it shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle on this side and on that side to cover it. Thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram's skins dyed red, and a covering above of badger's skins, according to the King James Version. And thou shalt make boards for the tabernacle of shittim wood standing up. Ten cubits shall be the length of a board, and a cubit and a half shall be the breadth of one board. Two tenons shall there be in the one board, set in order one against another. Thus shalt thou make for all the boards of the tabernacle. Thou shalt make the boards of the tabernacle twenty boards on the south side southward. Thou shalt make uh, forty sockets of silver under the twenty boards, two sockets under one board for his two tenons and two sockets under another board for his two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle on the north side, there shall be 20 boards. 
and there are forty sockets of silver, two sockets under one board, and two sockets under another board. And for the sides of the tabernacle westward, thou shalt make six boards. And two boards shalt thou make for the corners of the tabernacle in the two sides. Thou shalt be coupled, I'm sorry, they shall be coupled together beneath. They shall be coupled together above the head of it unto one ring. Thus shall it be for them both. They shall be for the two corners. They shall be eight boards and their sockets of silver, sixteen sockets. Two sockets under one board and two sockets under another board. Thou shalt make bars of shadow wood. Five for the boards of one side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the other side of the tabernacle, and five bars for the boards of the side of the tabernacle for the two sides westward. And the middle bar in the midst of the boards shall reach from end to end. And thou shalt overlay the boards with gold, and make their rings of gold for places for the bars. And thou shalt overlay the bars with gold. Thou shalt rear up the tabernacle according to the fashion thereof, which was showed thee in the mount. Okay, let's pray for the word. Lord God, we just thank you today for your awesome word. We thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and your mercy and your grace. We ask God that you would speak to us this morning concerning your will, your word, and your ways. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your love, and your compassion. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to read to you Exodus chapter 33 once again, beginning with verse 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me thy way, that I may know thee that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee. I will give thee rest. So God says, I'm going to go with you myself. I'm going to give you rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. God's not in it. God's not with us. We don't want to go. Amen. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory, says Moses. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. He said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me. Say, a place by me. A place by me. Very important. Thou shalt stand upon a rock. Amen. And it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cleft, or like a, an open cave, cleft of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away my hand, thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shalt, shall not be seen. Alright, so say with me please, a place by me. 
Verse 23, I will take away my hand, thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. And that's very important. All right, let's go back to Exodus 26 then, and let's just teach these different areas of the Scripture. Praise God. All right, verse 1, Moreover, though, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen, blue and purple and scarlet, with cherubim of cunning work, shalt thou make them. Now, that's the under... Uh, covering there the curtain that's underneath but let me just show you these things first you'll see this is the tabernacle this is what we're studying the tabernacle itself okay this is what the tabernacle would look like basically the very back parts you have the badger skins could be porpoise it also could be deer skins depending on the translation that you look at that's the very top covering there underneath that is the ram's uh, skins dyed red and then you have the goat's hair, which I believe was black. We'll explain that to you. Underneath the red covering. And then underneath that, that's that beautiful linen curtain that had the cherubim embroidered in it. That's what the, the priests would see as they were inside of the tabernacle. So very beautiful inwardly, but not very beautiful outwardly. We'll explain that to you. Okay? This is a picture of the badger skins, porpoise skins, deer skins it's hard to know because there's so many different translations through the one particular word okay see how it comes over the structure itself and makes an outward covering not very pretty to look at on the outside all the beauty wasn't on the outside it was on the inside of the tabernacle now remember what was the tabernacle a type of the Lord Jesus Christ and also his church the Lord and his church okay then you have the ram skins dyed red right there underneath those uh, badger skins then the goat's hair you see it coupled together there goat's hair these are the couplings that went in there was 11 on one side five on the other side and they were clasped together and then of course the other ones were sewn together these divided into uh, uh, five and six this is the goat's hair see the couplings there Okay, this is that linen curtain that I just read to you about. So let's do some teaching on that so you'll understand what that's about. <clears throat> All right, the scripture tells us here that it's fine twine linen. It's got the blue, it's got the purple, it's got the scarlet, and it's got the linen in it. It's embroidered with these beautiful cherubim. There's a total of ten curtains here. Five of them on one side, five on the front side, coupled together with a gold uh, coupling. Okay, it's got loops of blue in it, 50 loops of blue, and then we have the 50, uh, they call it tatches there, connectors there that are made out of gold that connect the five and five together. Okay, praise the Lord. And that would be what the priest, as we said, would see as he walked into the tabernacle, this beautiful, beautiful linen uh, curtain there, all right? Now this speaks to us of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Say righteousness. And the number 10 speaks of divine government. You've got 10 commandments, the law of God, okay? Speaks to us of divine government. Say 10. Divine government. This lets us know that when Jesus Christ came into the world, because we have 10 curtains, that He was the divine King. That He kept the law of God perfectly. There was every, everything that God had commanded, the Lord Jesus kept perfectly. So there was no sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is this linen curtain right here. He fulfilled the law. He is God's divine king, keeping God's divine government and, and God's divine law. He is the governor. 
He is the king. Okay? So he's perfect. But none of us were perfect. So we needed a savior, right? And this will, this will get into the other coverings. But let me show you how perfect he was. If you go to Luke chapter 9. Keeping in mind what we read about Moses. You remember Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. Now God is sitting there talking to Moses. But he said, that's not enough. I want to see your glory, Lord. And then God says, I will cause all my goodness, not some of my goodness, but all my goodness to pass before you. So what did he do? He put Moses in, the, in like a cave, a cleft of the rock, put him there. God passed by him. Moses didn't see his front parts. Didn't see his face because what would have happened if he had seen his face? He would have died because of the glory of God. See, the glory of God is so awesome that when He comes back in the book of Revelation, it tells us and the other prophets that nations are going to be destroyed by the brightness of His coming. That's how much glory this God has. And even a man of God like Moses could not look upon the face of the Lord. This is a theophany, a visible manifestation of God in the Old Testament. And he could not look at the full glory of, of Jesus, or God. If he would have, he would have just melted. He would have been consumed by the glory of God. That's how awesome his glory is. I mean, his glory, it outshines the sun in its strength. So Moses couldn't look at his face because he would have instantly died. So what God did, he said, all right, I'll show you. I'll cause all my goodness to pass before you. I'll put you in a cave. I'll put my hand in front of your eyes and I'll pass by you. And you'll see my hinder parts. You'll see my backside, but you won't see my front side. Amen. I'll cause my goodness to pass before you. I'll cause, and it's like as he looked and he saw the, the back parts of the Lord moving away from him. He saw the glory of the Lord not all of His glory, but a part of His glory as it went by. So what basically God told Moses, He said, there's a place beside me. A place to say, a place beside me. Oh, this is awesome. I'll let, you, I'll let you get in a place beside me, but I can't let you see my full glory because you'll be consumed. Say God. The place beside Him. All right? So as God passes by, then there's a place beside him and he's able to stay in that place beside him and he's able to see the back part or a, a small glimpse of the glory of God as it passes by. It was like an afterglow of the glory of God. It's what the glory of God left behind him was the afterglow. And I want you to know that every time the Lord passes by something, it always affects what he passes by. If he passes by you this morning, there's going to be a residue. There's going to be an afterglow that's going to take place in your life. God can't pass by you without it affecting your life. It is impossible for him to come into this place and move among us without him affecting us, without him touching us. And when he walks by you, there's an afterglow, there's a residual of his presence that I can look at you and I can see the glory of God upon your face. I can see the glory of God in this place because it's the afterglow of his glory. And what God comes by, what he passes by, he will touch and he will affect, praise God. But there's a place beside me. Hallelujah. You can't look at all of my godness. You can't look at all of my glory. If you did, you would die. But you can experience the afterglow of my presence. 
And I'm telling you what, there's been services that I know that God has moved in this place in an awesome way. And I looked up and I saw the afterglow of His presence. I saw the residual. I saw what was left behind. I saw His hinder parts. I knew He had been here. I looked upon people's face and I saw people's faces glowing like angels. The glory of the Lord was on uh, their face. Hallelujah. So that's what he's talking about. But it's a place beside him. It's something that is next to God. You, got to, you have to see that, all right? So let's look at this. Go to Luke 9. When Jesus walked this earth, all that you saw in the outward, the physical body, was the badger skins. Amen? You didn't see his glory. You didn't see his godness. He didn't have a halo on the top of his head like some people want to depict the Lord. He wasn't walking around glowing like the sun when he walked this earth. He looked just like a man, just like you look. On the outward, if you looked at Jesus Christ, there was no beauty that you would desire him. He looked just like you. Well, I wouldn't say just like you. But the outward, you, could, you couldn't look at Jesus and say, there's God, or that's God. You looked at Jesus, and you knew he was a man. Because all you saw was the, the, uh, the badger skins. Really didn't look too pretty, in fact. That's what Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53 tell us. We'll get into that as we go through these different coverings. Are you with me? I mean, you couldn't walk up to him and know that he was God by this, you know, this brilliant light that was coming out of him. He looked just like a man. You with me? Jesus Christ was the place beside God. Let me explain what I'm talking about. His humanity was a place. God was inside of Jesus Christ. But His humanity was the place that you could get to without being consumed by the Godness that He had in Him. By His glory. Do you understand that? His humanity. What I'm trying to say is that God was in the next room. That God was inside of Jesus Christ. And when those priests were in this tabernacle, they ministered up here and the high priest once a year would go in the Holy of Holies. The throne room of God was right there in the Holy of Holies. But he said, there's a place beside me. So as the priests were out here in this holy place, ministering to the Lord, guess where God was? In the next room. And there was a veil that separated the two. And Hebrews tells us, the veil is the flesh of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine ministering in this tabernacle and serving Him and Maybe uh, working with the uh, candelabra, you know, the wicks there and the table of showbread and the altar of incense that was in front of the veil there. And you're a priest in there and you're doing all this service unto God. And you could talk to each other and say, hey, God's in the next room. God's in the next room. There is a place beside me. God's right here beside us, people. The veil was his flesh. The humanity of Jesus Christ veiled God. God. So Moses, praise God, I'll pass by you. 
I'll let you just I'll let you get just as close to me as you can possibly get close to me without me killing you. But you can't handle all my goodness. You can't handle all my glory. So I'll let you experience just enough that won't kill you in the process. So here comes Jesus Christ. He's a picture. Are you with me? The veil is the flesh. God was inside that room. God was inside the body of Jesus Christ. And when, you, when He walked among the earth, you looked at Him, you saw the veil. But behind the veil of the flesh was the glory of God Himself. It was God Himself. And all His glory was inside that body. And He kept the law of God perfectly. The law of God condemned us. He kept it perfectly. Oh, my, my, my. That God's good. Now let's look at this Luke 9. Let's see how perfectly he kept it. Thank you, Jesus. Say, a place beside me. Man, remember they, people rubbed shoulders with Jesus Christ. Didn't even realize his flesh was a veil. God was in the, in the room. I mean, they were over here and they were beside God. And the only thing separating them but, <laughs> from that deity the glory of God was this veil of flesh called the humanity of Jesus Christ but God was in the room Jesus wasn't the second person Jesus was flesh as a man who veiled God himself God was in that room you've got to understand that and people rub shoulders with this man Christ Jesus and not even realizing that God was in the room but he was in the room friends There's a place beside me. You get in that place. Come on. That's the only place you can get in and experience God. Can you understand what I'm saying? You can't experience God in Buddha. You can't experience God in Krishna. You, you, the only place you're going to be able to experience God is in Christ. Look. Man, amen. But there was a time in the life of the Lord Jesus that something very awesome took place in Luke chapter 9, all right? Let's flip over there. Praise God. I'm so glad he came. Look at this, verse 51. And it came to pass when the time was come, say when the time was come, that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Amen? Well, what happened? Do you know? The transfiguration had just taken place. Let's back up and read it. All right, verse 28. Came to pass about eight days after these sands, he took Peter, John, and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance whoo, was altered. And his raiment was white and glistering. What is going on here? He's up in this mountain. All of a sudden, his countenance starts changing. The Bible says, And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah. Say, Moses and Elijah. The one who said, God, show me thy glory. And God said, I'll cause all my goodness to pass before you. But all you can see is the afterglow. You're going to look forward. You've got to look forward. 
There's a place beside me. You've got to look forward. Okay. Who, look at this. They appeared in glory, which spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Hallelujah. You're going to go and die. See, Moses, the one who was involved with all the sacrifices, he knew Jesus Christ was the lamb. He knew he was the perfect sacrifice. The prophets, hey, the prophets prophesied about what he was going to do. So you've got the law and you've got the prophets telling him, this is, you're the fulfillment of all that God said. This is awesome. The Bible said in verse 32, But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. When they were awake, they saw his... They saw his glory. Ooh, man. Moses says, show me your glory. Now, the Bible says, Peter says, hey, we see his glory. But notice the Bible tells us right here, his countenance was altered. They looked into the glory of his face. Hmm. And they could do that because there's a place beside him, his veil. Notice. And the Bible says uh, in verse uh, 2, men that stood, by, stood with them, and 33. And it came to pass as they departed from him. Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. I mean, what else are you going to say? You just seen Jesus go off like a sparkler, man. Amen. And Matthew says that his countenance and, and what was happening in his, his body, it was whiter than any fuller's could make it. Fuller's soap could make it. I mean, a fuller couldn't make his outward appearance so bright. It was the glory of God. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The glory of God that was on the face of Jesus Christ there was not shining on him. It wasn't like this. I look in this light, this natural light, and it shines on my face, and you see a glow. The glory of God, God was in him. And so the glory of God is going to shine through the veil. I mean, he's standing up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he's bright as the sun, man. I mean, the glory of God is just coming through that flesh, coming through that veil. It's not on him, it's coming out of him. It's not a natural glory. It's not a natural light. It's the deity of God. His glory coming through that flesh. He is being transfigured. He's being changed. He's being metamorphosized right there. In their midst. What is happening? He's, he could be raptured right there. He could be taken up right there. But he doesn't. Let's keep reading. And there came a voice out of the clouds saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close and told no man in those days any of these things which they had seen. See that? Praise God. Now, but look at where verse 51, because verse 51 goes with this. It tells us it came to pass when His time was come that He should be received up. Right there, when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, being transformed before them, the glory of God is coming out of him. He could have been raptured right then. He could have been like Enoch. Remember Enoch? Genesis chapter 5. 
Bible says he walked with God and he was not for God took him first 65 years of Enoch's life he didn't live for God had a son by the name of Methuselah he looked at Methuselah Methuselah's name means when he dies Methuselah then the water will come when he had that son Methuselah he said you know what he said I'm gonna live for God because when this son of mine dies that's when God's gonna send the flood and he lived 969 years longer than any other man because the grace of God and the goodness of God allowed man to continue without destroying him. So Enoch said, I'll tell you what, I'm 65. You can read this in Genesis 5. He's 65 years old. He said, I'm going to start living for God because I've got a man, i got a son whose name means when he dies, the flood's going to come. So it woke him up. And for the next 300 years of his life, he lived totally dedicated and committed to the Lord. So the Bible says he walked with God. And he was not because God took him. Which means he took him to the other side, man. He took him into eternity. He transfigured. He changed his body. His immortality. His mortality. Put on immortality. And he was transported into glory. Enoch himself physically alive, changed and transported into the glories. And there he stood before God in a spiritual body. Never saw death. Raptured up. Why? Because for 300 years he had walked with God. And he fulfilled the probationary period of time. God said, okay, hey, you've walked with me for 300 years. That's a probationary period of time to test you to see if you would walk with me. And because you walked with me for 300 years, you fulfilled the time. So come up here and come on home. You're walking so close to me in this world. Just come on up here and join me in my world. And he crossed over on the other side and walked into eternity. Now, see, that means something to me. You see that? And he's a type of the kingdom age saints. Those that are going to be translated from the earth and planted in the heavens. Not going to see death. Going to be taken up planted in the heavens. Praise God. And that's what's going to happen to the church. Not too, too far from now. Something's going to start happening in my body. my body is going to start changing and this mortal is going to put on immortality pretty soon I'm going to get a glorified body I'm going to be taken up into the heavens like Enoch was but you see Jesus the ten curtains he fulfilled the law perfectly he was completely righteous with God he did not have to die because he didn't have any sin he could have been received up the Bible says he could have been raptured out of this world, the Bible says, right there. He didn't have to die on that cross because he completely walked in the will of God. And the probationary period of time is over, so now it's time to go on home, Jesus. Are you with me? Well, let me read it to you again because some of y'all looking at me like you're still asleep. So, Look at verse 51. And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. 
He didn't have to die for you. He didn't have to die for me. He could have been taken up. Are you with me? But he said, look. He said, fastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He said, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to die. I can go up. I don't have to die. I've been righteous as a man. And I can be taken out from this earth. But I've got to do something. I've got to go to Jerusalem. I've got to go and die. I've got to do what I talked to Moses and Elijah about. I've got to go and fulfill that passion. I've got to go and die for some people. Because yes, I can go up. But if I don't go to Jerusalem and die for the people, the people aren't going to be able to go up. So I've got to go to Jerusalem and I've got to die for them so that not only I go up, but everybody else that I represent can also go up. Y'all see that? He became sin for us. The sinless one became sin for us. He's an awesome God, is he not? But right there we get a glimpse of the glory of God. We get a glimpse of the fact that Jesus Christ was more than a man. That he was God come in the flesh. And as a man, he was trans being transfigured right there. But as a man, he was willing to die for you and I so I could be received up. I'm going to tell you something. That's an awesome sacrifice. He did not have to do that. He did not have to die. But in order for us to be in his presence, in the presence of God forever, he had to die in the flesh. Had to shed his blood. Say, so shed his blood. So he prepared that place by blood. This tabernacle right here speaks of blood all around. Blood, blood, blood. Speaks of blood. Say blood. If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't be in heaven. So he said, I've got to go and I've got to die. I've got to shed my blood so these people can be saved. Amen. So it was a place beside him. Here's God and they're ministering there. But it's a place that is prepared by blood by the high priest. You understand that? Okay, he went in and he prepared the place by blood. It's the only way they could stand to minister is by blood. The only way you're going to get to heaven is by blood. Amen? You understand that? So he died, shed his blood. When he shed his blood, when I ask you a question, did he take his blood with him into the heavens? Let's look at Hebrews 9. See what the Bible says. See, this is all typical. All right, Hebrews chapter 9. Let's turn there. Verse 1, then verily the first covenant had also ordinance of divine service and worldly, and a worldly sanctuary. That's that tabernacle. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. Amen. 
Verse 4, which had the golden censer, the ark of the covenant, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had man and Aaron's rod that it budded, and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubim of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But in the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. See, he had to offer a sacrifice for himself too because he had sin in his life. Amen? He had to take care of his own mess and he had to take care of the mess of the people too by blood. The Bible said the Holy Ghost this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while it, as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Amen. Which was a figure for the time then present. It's a shadow. It's a type. It's a model. The Bible says, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. Look at this, say, but Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is to say not of this building neither by the blood of goats and calves but by his own blood he entered in once in say once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us for if the blood of bulls, of goats, and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He said once for all He went in there as a high priest. Now before these high priests went in there, they went in there once a year on the Day of Atonement. In the Holy of Holies there, the Ark of the Covenant, they sprinkled the blood there on the mercy seat, Right? But they had to do it every year, and they had to do it for themselves, and they had to do it for the people. Right? And it was the blood of what? Bulls and goats. But the heavenlies, which this is a type of, you couldn't take the blood of bulls and goats into a better tabernacle. You with me? The blood of bulls and goats would not take care of what is need in the better tabernacle. Now, it could take care of the lesser tabernacle, but it could not take care of the better tabernacle in heaven. So Jesus Christ, by His own blood, not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by His own blood, and that once and for all, not over and over, once and for all, you with me? Went into the heavens, he didn't, I don't believe he took his blood. He shed his blood out on the earth. How did they gather the blood up? Well, the blood is in his name. And he, when he went before the throne as a man, he offered the blood through his name because the blood is in the name of Jesus. I don't think that there's a liquid blood up there today. I don't think that the blood of Jesus Christ is up in heaven right now. And it's still the same in liquid form covering a literal mercy seat. I believe the blood is in the name. So he offered the blood through his name. 
That's why when you got baptized in the name of Jesus, the blood was applied to your life. And it was once and for all. Say efficacious. It's efficacious, which means it's never lost its power. The blood of Jesus keeps pleading my cause right now. So he went in as, see, he's God. But as a man, he had to die for us on the cross so he could represent us as humanity. You understand that? So when he went into the heavens, he was accepted. The eternal spirit of God accepted the sacrifice of the humanity of Jesus Christ and the shed blood that was shed for us. He was accepted. Amen? And because that one man's sacrifice was accepted, come on, the perfect sacrifice, then you and I can be accepted also. I'm going to let Brother Randall come teach and finish the rest. Did you want to finish it, Brother? No. Anybody else want to finish the lesson this morning? Hallelujah. Y'all understand that? Jesus once and for all entered in to the heavenlies with his own blood, not the blood of bulls and goats. You understand that? And he took care of the sin problem that separated us from God. And he represents us, which means this, that if he was accepted, then I'm accepted. That's why the devil can't beat me up. The devil can't whoop me. He can't whoop me. Because the blood of Jesus is, you know, has declared me righteous. And when the devil comes and tries to point a finger at me and said, look at this, this is your sin, this is your failure. Well, I just put it under the blood. And it's efficacious. It's never lost its power. It's the same blood, but it's never lost its power. It was shed. Almost 2,000 years ago, that blood was shed. But that blood that was shed for almost 2,000 years ago has never lost its power. It's still efficacious today. And people still come up with new sin all the time. Sins that people do today, they didn't do back in the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you something. Jesus didn't have to come and shed new blood for the new sin. Because the blood that he shed was efficacious. It's never lost its power. He didn't have to come and die over and over and over again. He is our high priest. He represents us. He shed his blood. Come on. And it doesn't matter what kind of new sin people come up with. The blood of Jesus that he shed almost 2,000 years ago still takes care of the sin. All you got to do is just be willing to say, Lord, I've sinned against you. I've had bad thoughts, said bad words, done bad deeds. God, will you forgive me by the blood of Jesus? I plead the blood of Jesus in the name of Jesus. God will forgive you of your sin and then you can be baptized in the name of Jesus because the blood is in the name. When you're called by the name, then the blood comes and cleanses you. And it's never lost its power. It's a place, say a place, beside God 
It's the flesh, the humanity of Jesus Christ. And what He did for us on the cross in that humanity will allow us someday to go into His glory and not die. Okay. By the way, how many of y'all take your notes? Uh, I got a few of you. Is it going? Okay. All right, is everybody with me? All right, this we will got the blood covered. It's prepared place by the blood of Jesus, right? All right, let's go on then. The Bible tells us in verse 4. Uh, Exodus chapter 26, verse 4. And thou shalt make loops of blue. Say loops of blue. And blue speaks of his lordship. Speaks that he is the Lord from heaven, right? Why blue is heaven. So we have loops of blue here upon the edge of one curtain. And then it goes on and talks about uh, verse 5. Fifty loops shalt thou make of the one curtain. Fifty loops shalt thou make of the edge of the curtain that is in the coupling of the second. That the loops may take hold one of another. Right? So we've got these loops of blue in this these delinic curtains have the cherubim on them, etc. That's what we've been talking about, right? That under, under that ceiling there. Okay. Now, the loops of blue. Let's go to Numbers 15. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Numbers 15, verse 32. make them fringes in the borders of their garments throughout their generations that they put upon the fringes of the borders a ribbon of blue okay the ribbon of blue speaks then again of the lordship of jesus christ that he is god the lord from heaven now this was a a prayer shot now I'm, I'm sure that y'all have all seen this right this talit this prayer shawl y'all seen the juice just people wearing this talit, this prayer shawl. They pulled it over their heads. Okay. Well, whenever this tabernacle was set up, the Levites were the only ones that could go in there in that holy place. And the high priest could only go into the Holy of Holies and that once a year. Nobody else, no other Israelite walked into that tabernacle. So those Israelites... Normal Israelites could not see the beautiful curtain. All they saw was the outward. Okay? Now, Ruth talked about coming underneath the wings of God. Psalms 91, it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High God shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Okay? So this protection we're talking about is what that priest had. He walked in there and he had the, the carabine was above him. So he was protected. Those are the wings of God, the shadow of the Almighty. He that dwelleth in the secret place, the Most High God, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Which means that if you have a prayer life, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High God 
That's your prayer life. Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So when you find that secret place of prayer and you pray, that's when you are under the, you are abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. But without that secret place of prayer, you don't have protection. When that high priest walked in, he looked up and he saw all those wings everywhere. See, God doesn't have wings. This is a reference to the cherubim that was above him. And that priest could walk in there and he could see all those beautiful cherubim at the top. And he could see those wings. And he could say, you know what? I am protected right now. I am protected. I am secure in him. He loves me. Amen. Are you with me? But the, the people could not go in there. So they had this, Numbers 15, verse 37. They had this garment. And every time the priest would walk in there, in that tabernacle, the people would come out of their, of their little tents back here, and they would face the tabernacle. They would pull that prayer, prayer shawl over their heads. You understand? They say, we can't go in the tabernacle, but we've got our prayer shawl. We've got the talit. And they pull it over their heads like this right there. They were saying, this is the tabernacle. Okay? You understand that? This is the tabernacle. And in that prayer shawl, that talit, this right here that they're talking about, uh, it had... 613, somewhere around there, over 600 different little loops that were tied together there at the bottom of it. It's the commandments of God, the Word of God. So this reminded them of the Word of God. That the God that they served was a moral God. He wasn't like the rest of the gods around them that were immoral gods. He was a God of law. He was a moral God. He was a holy God. Blue that was at the fringe of that, really what they were, they were, my understanding that they were like cords that came down and hang down. And these cords, this blue here, was, was reminding them that God is in the heavens. Are you with me? It also reminds them of His Word. His Word came from heaven. It reminds them that their citizenship is in heaven. This world is not our home. It's not our home. They walk out, they pull that prayer shawl over their heads. But you know what? They're standing on the ground. They look down there and they see dirt, man. I mean, it's filthy. It's dirt. There was no floor in the tabernacle. Do you understand what I'm saying? But they knew that their citizenship was in heaven, not here in this earth. We're still in this world right now. I still have problems. I am discouraged at times. I am depressed at times. I am battling at times. That's this world. I'm walking in this filthy place. But all I, what I need to do is I need... The, the Bible talks about a, 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 under, I'm under the person's wings of, of whom I have come to trust. So when I get down, get discouraged, and I'm in the filth of this world and dealing with filth, then I just need to look up and trust the one. He said, I've come to trust in this one. He is my promise. 
I am secure in Him. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm just passing through this world. Thank God. You know, the longer I live in this world and the longer I live for the Lord, the more sick and tired I get of the world and the more ready I am to go home. And I really believe that God is doing a work in my life and I believe He's doing a work in your life. He, that you're getting sick and tired of this world. Lift up your eyes from your, which your redemption draws now. See, a lot of people are too earthly minded. If you're too earthly minded, you're no heavenly good. So he said, hey, look at this dirt here. Look up. Trust him. He is your security. He is your promise. He is your joy. He, but you got to lay hold on to him. So lift up your eyes. If you're fighting some battles right now, lift up your eyes. Get it off of this world, because this world, there's nothing good about this world. It's filthy. It's filthy. Our citizenship is heavenly. That's the blue that was in those curtains, those 50 blue loops there. This world, the reference is made here to this talit, this, this prayer shawl here. You understand that? Okay. Now, remember whenever Jesus walked the earth, he had this garment. Very, very expensive garment. In fact, they sat down there at the foot of the cross and cast lots for it. It was seamless. I mean, it's a very expensive garment, this prayer shawl. And one day he came walking by, and there was a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. She'd been sick. Been all kinds of physicians, all kinds of doctors, and nobody could help her. But she said within herself, if I can be touched, the hem of his garment, if I can touch that ribbon of blue, I know that I will be healed. And as he walked by, she pressed her way through the crowd. She reached up and she touched the hem of his garment, that ribbon of blue. And she was immediately healed from that sickness and that disease. She laid hold under her promise. She recognized, yeah, the written word came from heaven, but he's the word of God personified he is the word of God if I can just get a hold of the word of God today I can get a hold of my promise you said in a person when she touched him the Bible says he said somebody touched me she was immediately healed right then she says somebody touched me and James calls it the word of God the perfect law of liberty She got a hold of that perfect law of liberty and she was set free from her sickness. Now that's what they would do. They walk out of that tabernacle. So their tabernacles, they'd cover their heads and they'd say, symbolically, what the high priest is experiencing, I'm experiencing too. Do you understand that? God's an awesome God. Verse 39, It shall be unto you for a friend that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord. Remember the word. See that? And do them. And that you seek not after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you used to go a-whoring, that you may remember and do all my commandments, and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. See that? Okay, so that ribbon of blue then in that garment, and that uh, curtain speaks of that, everything we just shared with you. Amen. All right, let's go back to Exodus then. Are y'all with me at this point? I mean, I hope I'm not just up here speaking riddles and parables to you. 
Okay, Exodus 26. All right, we continue on. The Bible says this in verse 6. Thou shalt make 50 tachets of gold, tachets of gold, and couple the curtains together with the tachets, and it shall be one tabernacle. Say one tabernacle. How many gods is there? There's only one God, and there's only one son, one begotten Son of God, only begotten Son of God, and that's Jesus Christ. One tabernacle, one God, one man, the man in Christ Jesus, and one name by which you can be saved. See that? These ten curtains are coupled together by 50. You've got the 50 loops, and you've got the 50 patches of gold. Say gold. Now, again, what is this speaking of? Jesus Christ was God. He was God. Gold is deity. 50 tatches of gold. Deity. Now, somebody has taken the time to count the names of Jesus. The titles of Jesus. His names. And, he, and they have found that 50 of the titles that are given to Jesus in the Bible, 50 of them speak of His deity. Isn't that awesome? But right there in the tabernacle, you, you, if you were to go in there and you look up there and see the loops of blue and see those 50 tatches of gold, you would know that Jesus Christ was God. 50 titles declare that He was God. I think I'm going to believe the Word of God and not what men think. But 50 speaks also of Jubilee. So let's go to Leviticus 25 and verse 8. And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbaths years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month in the day of atonement. Shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. You shall hallow the 50th year. Say 50th year. There's Jubilee. And proclaim liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. And it shall be a Jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possessions, and you shall return every man unto his family. A Jubilee shall that 50th year be unto you. You shall not sow, neither reap that which groweth of itself in it, nor gather the grapes in it of the vineyard or the vine undressed. For it is the Jubilee. It shall be holy unto you. You shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. In the year of Jubilee, this Jubilee, you shall return every man to his possession. If thou shalt aught unto thy neighbor, or buyest aught of thy neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of the years after the, after the Jubilee, thou shalt buy of thy neighbor, and according to the number of years of the fruits, he shall sell unto thee. So y'all understand Jubilee? On the 50th year, every 50 years, they celebrated Jubilee. They'd sound the trumpets. And Jubilee was a time of liberty, a time of great celebration. And those 50 loops, 50 tatches of gold speak of Jubilee, a time of great celebration. You understand that? Jubilee, debts were canceled. Jubilee, slaves were free. It was liberty. A time of great rejoicing and great, great celebration. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 4 comes along and here's what he says. In 
In verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. There was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. This is Isaiah 61, by the way. Uh, that, that he is, not, not Luke 4, stay in Luke 4, okay? But he's going to read from Isaiah 61, okay? Here's what he says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's Jubilee. That's why he came. Then the Bible says he sat down and he gave the book to the minister. Which means this. He is the fulfillment of Jubilee. He is Jubilee. He came to set us free from the sin debt. He came to give us liberty. Gave us freedom. The ability to celebrate. If you were in Israel during the year of Jubilee, you would have seen them dancing. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that. That's why when we come to church, we should be celebrating. You should be dancing. You should be rejoicing. If you really have liberty, if you really have Jubilee, if you really have Jesus, He sets you free from the sin debt. He sets you free from being a captive to the devil. He sets you free from all types of sin, bondages, and addictions. So it speaks of liberty, and I'm free. And the Bible says this, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So isn't it amazing that 50 days after His resurrection... There was an outpouring of His Spirit on the 50th day called the Holy Ghost. And when I got filled with the Holy Ghost, I experienced jubilee in my life. And that's why it says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And when I come to church, I come to celebrate. I come to dance. I come to sing. I come to praise. Because I have experienced freedom in Christ. And the awesome thing is that when Jesus got through preaching that, he said, I'm preaching the acceptable year of the Lord. This is Jubilee. He said, this is Jubilee. Man, I've come to set the captive free. I've come to heal the brokenhearted. That's what he came to do. Then he gave it to the ministry. Sit down. Gave it to the ministry. Isn't that interesting? Shows you the power and the authority of the ministry to stand up and declare unto you that you are free. If you're filled with the Spirit of God, you're baptized in His name, you're born again, you are free, and you should be celebrating. You should not be. You just shouldn't come to church and just sit there like this. You should never do that. When you were in the world, man, you partied down, and you partied hardy. You went to those dance floors and you danced, you boogied till sunup. And then you want to come in to the church of the living God, the greatest thing that's ever been established. Where there's freedom and there's liberty and there's deliverance and there's healing and there's victory. And you don't want to celebrate, you don't want to dance. 
Jesus said, I am the fulfillment of that. I've come to give you something to dance about. I've come to give you something to rejoice about. I've come to give you something to celebrate about. So we come in here. The Bible says, where the Spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. Not bondage, but freedom. And I experienced that in Pentecost. See, thank God. See, I was raised in a church, denominational church, where they just sat there and looked at you. You know, like, what are you talking about, man? God, you know, supposed to know God, supposed to be saved. Come on, amen. I was raised that way. But when I got born again, it changed my life, man. And I don't always feel good. I'm telling you, I don't always feel good. All I have to do is just look down at this filthy world, man. So what I got to do is lift up my eyes. <laughs> got to get my eyes on God and I got to trust Him. And just start celebrating. And when that high priest went in there on the Day of Atonement behind that heavy veil, and they offered the blood there, and the sacrifice was accepted by God, you know what he did? Had bells at the foot of his garment there, you know? And the pomegranates, again speaking of the law of God. This man walked in there with a rope around his waist because, you know, he's going in the presence of Almighty God. Remember what God said? You can't look upon my face, you'll die. And this high priest was walking right there in the throne room of God. If he's not right in his life, He's moving, he's moving in the presence of God. He could, he could die right there. So they tied a rope around that guy. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but, uh, you know, uh, extra teaching tells us that. Tied a rope around his waist. And those other priests stood behind that, uh, on the other side of that veil. You know what, they, were, they, were, they had to make sure he was still alive. They'd feel the movement in the rope. You know, he's still alive. He's all right. He's in there. He's with God, you know. We're in a place beside God, but he's with God in there. And uh, We know he's still alive because the rope's still moving, you know. And once he got through in there, something happened. God came down and consumed the fire on the altar outside the camp, and the Israelites knew that the atonement was made. Every year he went through this. And all of a sudden, when they got through there in that place, Jubilee took place. And he, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about a dignified high priest. I'm talking about a man who went in there with the, with the mitre which said, Holy Son of the Lord, the, the gold plate with this bonnet there and beautiful apparel. Walked in there, and this man, once he saw that the sacrifice was accepted, he began to dance. And those priests on the outside of that bell could hear the bells ringing. And they could feel the rope moving as he's in there dancing before God. And no wonder the psalmist said, and this was sung during this time, David Thomas. Blessed are they who hear the joyful sound. They heard those bells ringing, man. They heard the joyful sound. They, 
They can feel him dancing in there. They can hear those bells going. And the bells are a type of being filled with the Holy Ghost. And begin to speak with other tongues. That's the bells. And when you get filled with the Spirit of God, and you begin to speak with other tongues, blessed are they that hear the joyful sound. That's the bells. And it doesn't matter what you've done this morning. If you sin against God, all you have to do is go to the blood and plead the blood. And ask Him to forgive you and ask Him to fill you with His Spirit and begin to speak with other tongues. Blessed are they who hear the joyful sound. Because you have just experienced Pentecost in your life. You've experienced freedom in your life. See, living for Jesus is a freedom. It's a liberty. It's a victory. It's a time to celebrate, dance, and rejoice. And no one Peter said, no wonder Peter says that the angels desire to look into this Holy Ghost. See, the angels can't receive the Spirit of God in them. And when they see a person get the Holy Ghost, you know angels are in this place right now. Because the tabernacle showed me the priests were ministering and the angels were all around. We are now the priests of God and there's angels all around. I can't see them, but they're, all, they're in this place right now. And Peter says the angels desire to look into this Holy Ghost experience. And I've shared this with you before. I heard an evangelist share this with a church that he was in a, in a service. And he was able to see into the spirit world and saw angels of God in that place. He was able to see them. And he said as he, he noticed as people began to go to the front, he said many of those people were getting healed in their bodies. You know, pretty awesome thing. And he said the angels, when somebody was getting healed in their body, they pretty, it was okay with them. I mean, you know, yeah, they're getting healed. But he said he saw when he was laying hands on people, when people were getting the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues for the first time. He said God opened his eyes and saw those angels, and they were looking at these people who were receiving the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. And they were looking at them in amazement. Because the angels can't get what I've got. They can't get the Spirit of God inside of them and begin to speak with other tongues. And the Bible says in Peter, the angels desire to look into this. See? And this is all a picture. They're in that tabernacle right there. No wonder it says, blessed is he. Blessed are they who hear the joyful sound. Standing over there in service. And, you know, the lights going off and stuff to me, uh, kind of predictable because there's been some spiritual warfare going on. How many of y'all haven't been feeling too good lately? A lot of spiritual warfare going on. But I was standing there, and I was just singing, you know, the songs we had up here. And it's amazing what just singing the songs of Zion does to you. Look down there and you see the dirt all around you, man. Walked in here, you got dirt on your feet. All of a sudden you start singing, you oh, the joyful sound. Victory comes, rejoicing comes. 
Spirit of God begins to move in you, speak in tongues. You leave this place totally different from the way that you came. You came in here discouraged, depressed, down, defeated, surrounded by all kinds of problems and circumstances. But when you leave this place, God has given you liberty and freedom and set you free. And you say, Lord, I've come to trust in you. I'm not out of this world yet. I'm not out of trouble yet. But I'm going to trust you. Just like Ruth said, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. Isn't God good? And this was all speaking about that which is to come in the future. When I got the Holy Ghost, I got this right here. But I didn't get the second person in the Trinity. I got the Spirit of the living God, the gold. I got deity. I got His divine nature. There is a place beside me. He's awesome. Isn't He awesome? A lot of things go on in this life, but Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and forever. He never changes. His blood is still efficacious. It's never lost its power. And I'm so I'm thankful for that today because I need His blood. I need forgiveness. I need His Spirit today. Praise the Lord. Let me continue. Hallelujah. I could stop right now and we could walk out of here victorious. Amen. Because I felt the moving of the Spirit of God in our midst this morning. Many people's lives have already been touched and changed. But I need to continue though. The Bible tells us in verse 7, Thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair to be a covering upon the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shalt thou make. Song of Solomon. Flip over there if you would, please. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. The Shulamite, the type of the church, the Shulamite made, type of the church of the Lord Jesus. And, of course, the, uh, the shepherd is Jesus. It is in the Song of Solomon. Now, I tell you, I believe that this goat's hair was black. It was just above those curtains. Song of Solomon, chapter 1. Look at verse 6. Here's what this, this woman, this Shulamite says. She says, look not upon me because I am black. I've been out here in the field. I've been laboring. I'm all sunburned. I'm black. Don't look at me. I'm black. Because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyard. But my own vineyard have I not kept. that awesome look at verse 5 I am black but comely O ye daughters of Jerusalem as the tents of Kedar as the curtains of Solomon black see the goats here in that part of the world is black it has to be it has to be black because the blackness speaks of the sin right isn't God good have you ever felt like this woman don't look at me I'm black. I've been battled. I've been sunburned. Are you here? 
that awesome? Look not upon me, because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me, and my mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyard, but my own vineyard I have not kept. I hadn't even been able to keep myself together. I've been so busy trying to keep somebody else together and, you know, trying to minister to other people that I hadn't even been able to keep myself together. I got people mad at me all around me, you know, angry with me, and I'm sunburned. I'm just, she's having a hard time here. That's the bride of Christ. That's the church. Been laboring so much for Him and trying to help other people. We don't even keep ourselves together sometimes. The world, you know what I'm talking about. People around you angry. Verse 7, tell me, O thou whom my soul lovest, where thou feedest, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. For why should I be as one that turneth aside by the flocks of thy companions? Why should I have to go out and find satisfaction anywhere else, Lord? Show me where you are. Show me where I can find rest, God. I need rest. I'm about to sunburn. Look, I'm a sight to see. Oh, you see this, don't you? This, go back to Exodus then and make a curtain of goat's hair to be a covering. This speaks of uh, sin. The length of one curtain shall be 30. It goes on and it gives us all the descriptions here. Praise God. <clears throat> See, the goat here speaks of lawlessness. It speaks of sin. Remember on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus chapter 16, we just talked about the high priest going in that Holy of Holies and offering that blood and then dancing there. That was on the Day of Atonement. You know what happened on the Day of Atonement? There was what was called scapegoat the high priest went in there and it, well one goat was killed there was another goat the scapegoat placed the sins of the whole nation upon the head of that goat and that goat was laid out led out of the camp by a fit man very strong man you are you with me here one was slain one was taken out Twofold aspect of what the Lord has done for you. He died for your sin, then He bare them away. He took them away. The goats here on this tabernacle speak of Leviticus 16. The goat that was slain, and the scapegoat that was taken out. Led out by that fit man, a very strong man. That's the type of the Holy Ghost. The scapegoat is the Lord Jesus Christ being led by the Spirit of God in His whole life, leading Him all the way to Calvary. And then eventually bearing our sins away. Praise God. And on that same day of atonement, the high priest, would he be rejoiced that the sacrifice was accepted. But as the scapegoat was taken out, there were stations along the way. Somebody would walk out and lift a flag and say, it's made this far. And the people in the camp start celebrating. Hey, our sins have made it that far away from us. Yeah. Take that scapegoat a little further to the next station. The man would lift up his hand. Hey, it's this far. Take it out to a cliff in, in, in a place called no man's land. Throw that goat off of that cliff. Hallelujah. So the sins could never go back into that camp. And I'm telling you, the Day of Atonement, it turned out, instead of fasting in the morning, it turned out into a great time of celebration because the scapegoat had been taken out. Your sins had been borne away. That lawlessness that was in your life. I couldn't experience those curtains because I wasn't perfect. But the Lord said, I will come and I will be your goat that is sacrificed. And I will be the goat that bears your sins away. So that you can become my righteousness. And you can have my righteousness. And I'll give you a covering. He is my righteousness. He is my sin bearer. Is what it's saying here. Keep going. 2 Corinthians 5.21. I need to read this to you. Look at this. 
Praise God. Isn't God good? You didn't know he loved you that much, did you? Honestly, I didn't. It is hard for me to know the love of God as a human being. That's why he gives us all these pretty, all these beautiful pictures to explain to us. Hallelujah. Because then we come to church and we, we're happy, but we don't know why we're happy. And we come to church and we rejoice and we don't even know why we're rejoicing. The next time you come to church, now you're going to know why you're happy and why you're rejoicing. Because you have this little picture that God gives you. See, as I said, if you don't understand this, you can't understand eschatology, you can't understand prophecy, you can't understand the rest of the Bible. We've got to have these things first. 2 Corinthians 5, it tells us here, look, in verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us. Say, for us. <laughs> Woo, man, you say that. For us, for you, for me. Who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. He's my goat, and He is my righteousness. Right there in that verse, amen. Let's keep on going. Well, the Bible tells us there's going to be 50 tatchets here, 50 loops here. They're going to be of brass, though, not gold. It speaks of the judgment that would fall upon him as my sin bearer. And I have a hope this morning. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. I have a hope. I'll tell you, there's many times I feel like throwing up my hands and giving up on myself. But I have a hope. And it's not in myself. It's in another. It's in the man Christ Jesus. You're not going to be able to make it without trusting Him. Well, let's go on down a little bit if we could. The Bible says, verse 14, Thou shalt make a covering of the ten of rams, skins dyed red. So above... The, the goat's hair above the curtains, linen curtains, and then the goat's hair, and then above that, the ram skin's dyed red. Amen? What does the ram speak of? Substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. He took my place. Jesus Christ, if you were the only one who ever lived, you're the only human being that was a sinner in need of a Savior, He would have come and said, I'll take your place. See, we have this concept and idea, yeah, he died for the whole world. Right? It says, whosoever believe it. That brings it down to the individual. Which means if I was the only one alive, Jesus Christ would have come. God come in the flesh. The perfect man, God himself, would have come and become my sin bearer for me individually and die in my place as a substitute if I was the only one who ever lived. And he would do the same thing for you because I'm no better than you are and you're no better than I am. Well, you might be a little better than I am, but you're not good enough to meet God. You needed a substitute, somebody to die in your place, somebody to look you in the face and see you for all that you are. 
and all your filth and all your sinfulness. Not patting you on the back and saying how good you are. Looking at you and knowing you're, you know, vile. Knowing that we're vile. And then saying, I'll be a substitute for you. He took my place. Which means if he took my place, I died in him. I'm not the same person anymore. I am not a sinner. You understand that? I'm a, I'm a child of God now. Have I sinned and do I sin at times? Sure. But I am no longer in the, the class. Do you understand that? You're no longer in the class of vacation of a sinner. You're justified. Don't walk around and say, I'm, I'm just a sinner. You're justified. He took your place to substitute. Remember the ram? Ram's skin's dyed red, speaks of the blood. The ram. Remember Abraham's ram? He's fixing up to offer up Isaac on that altar, right? Fixing to come down with that blade in his son. And God stops Abraham from killing his son. And over there in the distance, there was a ram caught by its horns in a, 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 a thorn bush. <laughs> There's a substitute. Abraham, go get that substitute. Kill that substitute. You see that? Abraham saw Jesus' day. He saw Calvary. He saw it typically. Come on. He knew that if he even laid down his son, that God would raise Isaac from the dead. He knew it. You read Hebrews 11. The Bible said that Abraham said, let us go up and worship the Lord in Genesis. And then he said, uh, you know, that he received him in a figure as from the dead. Because God had made Abraham a promise, you're going to be a great nation. Then he says, kill that son. Well, you've got to raise him from the dead. Lord, you're going to make a great nation. You've asked me to kill him. You've got to raise him from the dead. So Abraham saw, the, saw Calvary, the death of Jesus, and he saw the resurrection of Jesus Christ all typically there. Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced in it. He saw me hanging on the cross with a thorn, crown of thorns on my head. I'm the ram. He saw me as a substitute. He saw me caught in the sins of the people, bearing the sins of the people. What an awesome God we serve. That's the ram skins dyed red. See, he's Abraham's sacrifice. Isn't that awesome? All right, let's keep on going. Then the Bible says that above that, then you have this covering above called badger skins. Hallelujah. Oh, you know, always, I don't know. Hallelujah. Badger skins, what King James calls it, porpoise skins. Jacinius even makes allusion to that. He's one of the greatest Hebrew scholars that's ever lived. He says that this word is uh, porpoise or badger, or it could be a deer skin. Amen? Soltau, which is very awesome in the tabernacle, says it's a deer skin. So, hallelujah, take your pick. The point is this. There was an outward covering that wasn't pretty. It was ugly. Now, if it was porpoise skin, that's very interesting to me. 
Because where are you going to get porpoise skin out in the middle of a desert? Well, you know, where are you going to get deer skin out in the desert? Maybe you might find a deer out there somewhere. Where are you going to get a, maybe you might find a badger somewhere. I don't know. But boy, it take a lot of badgers to make that big old covering there. Well, they got everything they needed from Egypt. Everything that went into that tabernacle came from Egypt. And the people gave it as an offering to God. And the Red Sea is full of porpoises, man. I mean, when they, have you ever thought about it? When they walked over on dry ground and God had split the Red Sea open, you got, you know, on water on either side and big old heaps of water. You look over there and you see them fish swimming in that water, man. I mean, God just took the whole thing, you know? You're talking about an awesome aquarium. I mean, that was God's aquarium, boy. You see sharks in there and you see porpoise in there. Ooh, I love that. When we talk to you about the Red Sea is, is, the, uh, is what the prophets used to encourage the people of God in the Old Testament. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the standard miracle today. He lives. You know, we think, boy, that'd be great to be live back in those days. We're living in a better time now. But you know also the Bible says that they walked through the wilderness and their shoes never wore out. Amen. It is believed that these, the same thing that made that outward covering is what made their shoes. God said, give me your shoe leather, which is temporary, and I'll give you something that's enduring so you can serve me. Their shoes never wore out. Hallelujah. Isn't God good? <clears throat> he said, just give me, give me what you have that's temporary, and I'll give you something. I'll, I'll shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And I'll give you something that's enduring, that's lasting, that'll get you through this wilderness experience. You just have to believe. Go to Isaiah 52, please. Look at this badger skin. Hallelujah. Praise God, I feel good now. Oh, Lord Jesus. Isaiah 52, verse 14. Thank you, Lord. The Bible tells us there, as many were astonished at thee, his vicious visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations, the kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. See, when Jesus Christ died on you on that cross, there's nothing pretty about Calvary, man. They had beaten him so badly, you couldn't even recognize he was a man. The pictures you see of Calvary where Jesus is there and he's got a little blood coming out of the top of his head, and a little blood coming out of his side, a little blood coming out of his hands, that is not what the Bible tells you Jesus looked like. His vision was so marred, more than any man is formed, more than the sons of men. 
He went through more than any man has ever gone through in his physical body. When you looked at him, again, I don't say this irreverently, he looked like hamburger meat. They beat him. They whipped him with a cat of nine tails. They ripped his flesh off his body. They, then they hung him up on a cross to die. And he did it for you, man. No man has ever suffered like the Lord Jesus. That's the badger skin. That's how much he loved you. And that's how much he loves me. He's willing to do that. Look at Isaiah 53. Verses 1 through 3. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised. Say despised. Your Savior was despised. He was rejected of men. Some people say he wasn't rejected. The Bible says he was. He was rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Amen. That's that outward covering. No beauty in it. That's Jesus. That's that flesh hanging on the cross for you. For a person to see him, they despised him, they rejected him. That means in their mind it was a pain to even look at him. It grieved them to even look at him. See, that's that outward covering right there. See, you don't see the glory until you get inside. Inside, the man Christ Jesus was God and the glory of God. But he became a man to die for you and to die for me. Plucked the beard out of his face. You name it, they did it to Jesus. Stripped him of his clothing. He did all of that for me and all of that for you. Simply because he loved us. Not because he had to, but because he chose to. And again, I tell you, this tabernacle is the top of the church. People look at the church. They look at the outward. They see the outward. They see the negative. They see the problems in the church. Despised and rejected of men. See Pentecostal people. And they laugh and they mock Pentecostal people. The way they look. The way they dress. The way they live. Despised and rejected of men. All they see is the outward. They don't see the inward reality of the glory of God. All they see is the, the badger skin when they look at Pentecostal people. And you know what? You could go up there and you could tell them, hey, if you only had what I've got. You look at it, you despise it, and you reject it, and you mock it, and you do just to us just what you did to our Savior. But if you only knew the glory that's inside you only knew if I could only tell you what it's like to experience the glory but you see you brought somebody up to that tabernacle brought them up to the door of that tabernacle all they would see with that badger skin I can kind of understand that's the way the world does they look at the church that's all they see is the badger skin the negatives the problems you know oh, I've heard about the church I know what could go on in the church and all that stuff is all they see 
And you can say, oh, if I could just get you inside that tabernacle. I could just get you in there. To where you can experience the glory for yourself. Then you would understand why we are like we are. Then, then you could see. Yeah, there's the negative and there's the, the stench of the, the, the shedding of the blood. The killing of the animals and all that goes on with the church. I'll be the first to admit that there's many times that I get very, very tired of what goes on in the church. Really do. But something on the inside. That's the glory of God. I can do my best to tell you about it. But you have to get in there yourself. I can, I can tell you about it, but until you experience it for yourself, You'll never understand what we're talking about. All you see is the negatives. But that's the badger skin. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, all people, that's all they look, that's all they can see is the negative, the things that are negative. The outward. They don't see the glory. But I have experienced the glory. And so have you. So all I can tell them is, you know what? You just don't know what I have. You knew what I have, you would act just like me. All those people scream, shout, run around like that. Huh? You know, crazy, you know? Well, hey, if you had what I had, you'd do the same thing. I, I wasn't raised in this. I was raised in this. I was raised that way. And I, I tell you, I've shared this with y'all. The first time I went, I went to, ever went to a Pentecostal church, I saw one lady over here crying. You know, here I am. I'm the big religious dude. You know, I got so much knowledge about everything. 18 years old, in the world, in bondage to all kinds of things. Walk into a Pentecostal church, you know, and they'd already told me, a friend of mine had already told me, he said, don't go to a Pentecostal church. Because they'll get you and throw you down in the floor. <laughs> he said, I went to that church. He said, they got me and threw me in the floor. <laughs> so see, the devil was already trying to stop me from going to a Pentecostal church by somebody who only saw the badger skin. Well, hallelujah, I try anything once. I had to go see, man. They really do throw you in the floor. You got to understand where I'm coming from. I mean, as a Lutheran, as reserved and formal as you can be, it's almost as bad as being a Catholic. <laughs> and I walked in there, and they didn't throw me in the floor, but I noticed one lady over there, you know, she was crying. I was saying, you know, this is really strange. You don't quite cry when you go to church. But yes, you do when the Spirit of God moves on you. The Spirit of God moved on this lady. She's over there crying. Woo! Out loud, too. Not... <laughs> Screaming and crying. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, well, this is really something. Uh, see, I know, I know, I know how to worship God. Yeah. 18-year-old idiot, that's all I was. 
And then right next to her was another lady, and she's going, Woo, praise God. She was celebrating. She was jumping and dancing. And I said, This is really weird. You got one of them crying, you got one of them, uh, you know, celebrating. Which one's right? Who's right? The one that's crying or the one that's, that's laughing and having a good time? I just couldn't figure that out, man. See, I saw the badger skin. But you know, when I left that church, I walked out of there. And I said, they've got something that I don't have. They've got something I need. And now I is one. So I walked in that tabernacle and I experienced the glory of God. God filled with the Holy Ghost. And, and sometimes I'm crying. Sometimes, even in the same service, I cry. And then I shout, and I cry, and then I shout. I don't know what, I don't know if I'm coming or I'm going. Am I happy or am I unhappy? I don't know. You'll never, you'll never understand till you get on the inside. Till you, till you become one. <laughs> then when you become one, then you understand. But your challenge is then go out there and tell other people about, hey, what you've experienced. Oh, you're going to one of them holy rolling churches, man. <laughs> they people crazy, man. <laughs> I remember the first time Brother Heath walked through the door, man. He was ready to walk out as soon as he walked in. He taught me that, didn't you, brother? You said, I, I came in here, I was ready to leave when I first got here. I didn't. Now he is, he's just crazy as all the rest of us. You know, so, so don't sit there and say, I'll never act like that. Because once you get the glory in you, you'll probably be worse than ever, all of us. That's right. You come in here, we won't tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, you're shouting too loud. We won't tap you on the shoulder shoulder and say why don't you quit praising the Lord we won't tap you on the shoulder and tell you to quit running around the church now only if you you know got some sin in your life and you're being a hypocrite we'll do that but you know if you're not a hypocrite we'll let you run shout praise God get full of the Holy Ghost you understand what I'm saying it's hard to tell people about that glory because all they see is the outward badger skins got to get them in there hallelujah aren't you glad God got you in I, be honest with me. How many people told you when they found out you were going to a Holy Ghost, Holy Holiness Church? They say, "Oh, you're crazy doing that, man. You, you better get away from them people. Them people are crazy, man." <laughs> I was waiting for you to respond, sister. For some reason, I felt like you've been surrounded by people like that. Thank you, Jesus is right. <laughs> but now she is in here, man. Yeah, they'll tell you that. They just don't understand. They don't know what you've got. Amen. See the badger skin. Well, that's what they saw in Jesus Christ. Well, I'm almost through. Let's <clears throat> finish this up. Hallelujah. And the Bible tells us, and then talks about these boards. They were to make these boards, right? The structure that's going to hold up and all these covers. We talked about the covering. So he is what? He is our righteousness. He is my sin bearer. He is my substitute, right? Y'all with me? 
He's everything I need. He's an awesome God. All right, now, these boards, though, that were there, you got 48 of them total, 20 on each side, beside the gate, 20 on each side. Take all the, all the different uh, things that's given to us right here. We got 48 total of them, okay? You with me? Still don't have no lights. I wanted to show you the pictures, though. But these, <clears throat> these were um, 10 cubits high, which means they're 15 foot tall. So they're pretty good size. It's a pretty good size deal here, all right, that you're looking at. And this, this, this was shadow wood. What was the shadow wood? It's the twisted, right? Twisted. Very hard wood in the desert floor. It's satisfaction. It's supply comes from the earth. God says, I have need of them. Go and cut them down. Cut those trees down. Took that twisted, gnarled wood so hard that it even goes to the heart of the wood. The twistedness speaks of you. Not me, but you. Hey, that's you. Twisted. Your heart, you're so twisted, your heart's twisted. What's twisted? God said, but I need them. So he cut them down. That's what he does to you. He cuts you down, brings you to conviction, brings you to an altar. You fall face forward and flat before him and say, God, forgive me because I'm twisted even in my heart. God says, okay, I cut you down. That's, that's the whole purpose. So you have problems and difficulties sometimes so God can cut you down and get you on your face. See, if everything's going your way, a lot of times you won't bow the knee. You start to have problems, then God says, I'm going to use that to cut you down. I'm going to pull the rug out from underneath you so you'll get on your face before me. And then once I cut you down, like I did Paul, he cut me down. Then I'll take you and I'll stand you back up. But I'll stand you not twisted and gnarled and crooked. I'll stand you up right. Upright. Straight. So now I'm standing straight in his eyes. And notice every one of them is the same, same height. 15 feet high. 10 cubits. That means that everybody has to be saved by God's standard, not yours. Nobody has. See, there's a lot of people that want to do it their way. But you can't do it your way. There's a standard, and it's God's standard, and it's what God requires. And everybody has to meet God's standard, not my standard, but God's standard. We're all the same height. Hallelujah. I'm standing there now, been cut down. I'm no longer trusting in this world I'm not holding on to this world anymore with the roots into the world and the sap of the world's not flowing in my veins anymore I'm standing there and you know what's awesome is I got one foot in one socket of bra uh, uh, silver and I got another foot in another socket of silver tenons we could look at it this way hands if I could do a handstand you know you got your hands in the silver the silver is the redemption or it's the blood of Jesus so you're standing with those two tenons, like fingers, sticking into those sockets of silver, standing in Jesus Christ and in His blood that was shed for us. Here I am. I'm standing here before you, not as just a man, but I'm standing here before you in Jesus Christ, standing in Him based on the blood He shed for me. 
and I have laid hold on. I'm the tenants. I've laid hold on eternal life. The Bible says, lay hold on to eternal life. Get it. Get it. Go get it for yourself. Lay hold on to it like those tenants in the earth. Tenants in the silver. Two tenants, death and resurrection. I've laid hold on to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And here I stand. But you know what's awesome? I'm overlaid with gold. Do I look like gold to you? Do I look like gold to you? Oh, Ricky, he's in no way, no way, man. I, I'm overlaid in gold right now. That means I'm baptized with the Holy Ghost. I'm filled with the Spirit of God. And every, everything in that tabernacle there is overlaid in gold. Overlaid by the Holy Ghost, which means this. Your prayer life, when you read the Word of God, when you preach the Word of God, whatever you do, it's all overlaid by gold. I'm overlaid by the Holy Ghost today. I'm filled with the Spirit. How many people are filled with the Spirit this morning? <laughs> Baptized in the Holy Ghost. I'm satisfied in Jesus. No longer am I trying to hold on to this world for satisfaction. He is my satisfaction. Praise God. Well, then it goes on and it tells you that every one of these are very close. They're, they're right next to each other. Standing together. That's the church. That's you. Standing right together, right? Hallelujah. We could take y'all and stand you up. Maybe we'd have enough to go around and look like a tabernacle. Well, that's you standing there. In that tabernacle. That's you. In the, in the wilderness, how many of y'all ever rub somebody wrong? How many? Every day. <laughs> Sister Sue. Every day. You rub people wrong. In the wilderness, that's the way it is. The wind blows in, in those trees, that acacia tree, and it rubs against another acacia tree, and it rubs the bark off. You know, that's the way it is in this world. Man, you just rub each other wrong constantly. Sometimes even in the church, as it was said. Sometimes we rub each other wrong. Right? But we still got to stand together in unity of the Spirit. We may have differences and uh, opinions and things like that. But there's got to be a unity in the Spirit. We are one. God has made us one body. Do you understand that? We're all fitly joined together. Right? And there's five bars. I wish I could show you the picture. Five bars. Four on the outside going around that tabernacle holding all of them together standing side by side there. Four on the outside. One running right in the center there. One bar. It speaks to the... Again, Jesus Christ binding us all together by the Spirit. Say five. It's a number of grace. Right? You know that? Five-fold ministry. Five bars, five-fold ministry. Apostles, Ephesians 4 tells you, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Five-fold ministry, holding it all together. There's a lot of people in Laodicea. Laodicea means the people rule. Okay, I'm almost through, y'all. Hang with me a little more, all right? Laodicea means the people rule. We live in the age of Laodicea. We live in an age when everybody wants to do that which is right in their own eyes. They don't want to have authority over them. I know I deal with people all the time. And they think it's strange to submit to authority. Because we live in a Laodicean age. 
Laodicea means people rule. But God has set in the church this fivefold ministry. And without a fivefold ministry, you know how many people y'all come across? We don't need pastors. You know, we don't need preachers. We don't need evangelists. We don't need teachers. We don't. We'll just go out here and we'll have our own little home churches and, you know, we'll do our own little thing. We don't have pastors in our churches. There's churches that are set up in Odessa. They don't believe in having pastors. Right? Well, Laodicea. Because what God is trying to show you is this, is that it's a, there's a government in this tabernacle. The government that holds it all together. God has a government. He operates through the fivefold ministry. And the fivefold ministry is what keeps it all together. So you need a pastor. Amen. You need a pastor. You won't make it. You won't, it won't hold, be held together if you don't have a pastor. There is a government in God's kingdom. Amen. I'm not talking about myself. I, I could care less about myself. I'm telling you what the Word says you need. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? How many people you know that say we don't need pastors these days? How many, how many y'all, y'all, y'all know people that got home churches? You know, they don't have no pastors, you know. And they think that's the way. Me and my husband, we get together. We just have our own little Bible studies. We don't go to church anywhere. And we don't have a pastor. And therefore, we don't have to pay our tithes. And, you know, that's really the ultimate motive. I'm going to tell you, that's the ultimate motive. But it's Laodicea. God said that, did he not? He said, because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. God's government. See, we get it. Well, we're excited now, aren't we? Y'all already excited right now? Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, we get excited about the, you know, the liberty and the blood atonement and all these things. But what about his government? What about being loyal to a body of believers? What about doing a word? What about spiritual unity? What about fivefold ministry? What about being accountable and answering? I don't know about you, but I want that in my life. Praise God. Isn't God good? Now, I'm almost through. Let me tell you this real exa- this example. I shared it before. There was a young man that came to me one time, and I was over the youth group in, uh, in another church. And he came to me, and he's having difficulties with the leadership of the church. I told him, I said, let me tell you something. You are dealing with the government of God because God has a government in His church. It's not whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. There is a government and there's accountability and there's responsibility to that, to that leadership. He said, but, but, but you know, what about this and what about that? I said, let me tell you something. If that man of God tells you to do something, right or wrong, and, and, I'm not, and I looked at him and I said, I'm not telling you that if he tells you to go sin, that you go sin. If he's a true man of God, he's not going to tell you to go sin. But I'm saying in your mind and in your own opinion, he's wrong. If he tells you to do it, you do it, and God will bless you for doing it. Even if in your mind, 
he's wrong doesn't mean he's wrong or right. But in your mind, he's wrong. You have to submit to that government of God because God has divine government in his church. And if you don't do that, you are a rebel. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to get a Laodicean spirit about me. I don't. And I want to tell you how serious this is to me. Okay? I am not in a denomination, but I am still accountable. There are people that come from other churches to this church. Do you know that I have enough ethics about me to handle it in an ethical way? I don't just open the door and say, hey, because I'm not in your denomination, you're, you know, Jesus' name, one God denomination, uh, you can just come on over here and you can forsake that government and you can do your own thing. I don't do that, man. When somebody walks into that church, this church and I know they belong somewhere else, you're looking at a man that sits down with them and talks to them about where they came from. Because I am accountable to God and the way that I handle things. Do you understand that? And it doesn't matter if they do it likewise. I have to. To stay right with God's government. And it's an awesome thing because that's your covering. It'll hold you all together. You ever get to a point in your life though that you don't think you need the church? You're in trouble. I'm going to tell you right now. You need a church. You ever get to a point where you don't think you need a pastor and you don't need to be accountable? It's not about that pastor. It's about you. Are you going to make it? Are you going to survive? Come on. Y'all with me today? And that's what that's all about. Those five rods there. Powerful ministry. Praise God. Now, it's not that that ministry is a lord over God's heritage. That's not right. You don't want to be a lord over God's heritage. It has to do with the call of God, right? And that is what that is dealing with. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord. Isn't God good? Yeah. Why do we want that? Why do we want that? Because that fivefold ministry is going to get you ready for the rapture. Now, you, you don't listen to me. I'm going to tell you something. The only reason why I'm here is because God's put me here, not because you voted me in. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's right. And I'll be here not because you, you don't want me here or you want me here. I'm not here for that. If I hear from God today that I'm supposed to leave, I'm out of here. You know that? I mean, I haven't heard from God that, but I'm just telling you, the only reason why I'm here is because God has put me here, not because you put me here. And if I leave, it won't be because you want me to leave. If I stay, it won't be because you want me to stay. It's because God put me here. You understand that? So, I, I, again, I'm telling you, it's not about my flesh. And it's not about my ego. It has nothing whatsoever to do with it. It has to do with we're living in a rebellious age. I'm not saying you're rebellious. I'm saying we're living in an age of rebellion that doesn't want to be accountable and doesn't want any authority. They're Laodicea. They want the Savior. They want all the coverings, but they don't want the structure. They don't want the government. They don't want the accountability. They don't want His Lordship. 
Hallelujah. <laughs> Isn't God good? Stand up, sister. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to share something with, with the church. She told me the other day, she said, you know, Pastor, she said, I'd like to sing in the choir. You know, am I where I need to be to sing in the choir? Yeah, she's where she needs to be. So she's going to be singing in the choir. <clears throat> but y'all know she's got a lot of talent, musical talent. Musical talent, right? And uh, she told me, she said, Pastor, you're the only pastor that ever told me no. about singing in the church. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Most of those pastors had her as an entertainer. That's all. And it wasn't about God. It wasn't about what's doing, you know, doing what's right. It's that she can sing good, so we'll put her up there because she can sing good. You don't do that. It's not about entertainment. It's about pleasing God. It's about serving God. And so she's going to sit down. She's going to be singing the choir, but I thought that was funny. She said, you're the only pastor who's ever told me no. Everybody else let me do what I want to do. <laughs> Praise God. Hey, man. What do you think I am, stupid? You don't think that I would enjoy having somebody that has talent play and sing to the glory of God? What is my motivation then for telling her no? There's a spiritual reason for it. The truth is at stake. We represent God's kingdom, not ourselves. So hallelujah. All you got, what did the Lord tell the Cain? Now bring the proper sacrifice and you'll be accepted too. You want to be used by God? Do what's right. No problem, man. We'll let you be used by God. But if you don't do what's right, we can't because you don't have an acceptable sacrifice. And we're not going to let you get up and offer strange fire. So, hallelujah. I get ready. She's going to be singing. And uh, she needs a lot of help, so y'all pray for her. She needs a big time anointing, man. I mean, she's, you know, some people don't have it like I do. Just get up and sing and... No, so y'all pray for all the rest of them. Let's stand. Father, I love you and I worship you and I praise you and I thank you for your word. I thank you for the tabernacle. I thank you for the, the linen curtains, Father, that we've learned about today. I thank you for the 50 latches of gold, Lord Jesus, the loops of blue, Father God. Hallelujah, the goat's hair, the ram skins dyed red, Father, the badger skins. Thank you for the shittim wood overlaid with gold. Hallelujah. That's me, and that's these people here today, Father. I thank you today for the way that you've moved upon people's hearts and lives. Lord, I believe that we have come in contact, really you have come in contact with us in this service. And I pray, Father God, that you would continue to govern us according to your word and your will and your purpose and your plan. It's not our will, but your will be done, Father. I ask God your will would be done in every heart this morning. And many people are going to leave this place, God. And you're going to bring back to their minds, their memories, the things that they heard this morning. 
And Lord God, most of all, you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should be saved. All should find repentance and come to the knowledge of the truth. And Lord, I just give you glory and honor and praise today for this awesome tabernacle that you've given to us as a picture, Father, of what you've done for us. And I trust you today. I rest in your finished work. I thank you for forgiving me, cleansing me, as vile and wicked as I am. I thank you, Jesus, for having mercy upon me. I thank you, Jesus, for overlaying me with your spirit, filling me with your spirit. I praise you, O oh God, for this church. We ask God that you have your way in the service tonight. Let your will be done. We ask in your precious name today. We ask God that you'd be with all of our guests this morning. That you would continue to do a work in their lives. That your will would be done in their lives. The enemy comes to them and lies to them and tells them that they're too evil and too bad and too wicked to be saved. We know that to be a lie. We know, God, that you died for all of us. And all of us were in need of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight. Hallelujah.